Hello and welcome to the Eco Chamber, brought to you by the team behind the environmental policy magazine, The End Report. In this episode, we'll take a look at how the Environment Agency has graded water companies' performance in its latest annual assessment, why a decision to approve a huge offshore wind farm has angered campaigners, and what MPs think about the current arrangements for reintroducing species. Then, in this episode's deep dive, we'll take a closer look at new legislation that means that those that pollute the environment will face unlimited penalties. Is it all it's cracked up to be? So, without further ado, let's enter the That's definitely the last time we're going to do that now. I'm Jamie Carpenter, and I'm here with news editor Pippa Neal and reporter Shosha Aidy. For our first story of this week's Big Green News section, we're going to be talking, yet again, about the environmental performance of the water companies. Every year, the Environment Agency publishes an assessment of England's nine water and sewerage companies, giving them each a four-star rating. The EA says that this year's scorecard shows some modest improvement. Four companies have stayed the same, three have improved, and two have got worse. So, Shosha, I think the, the, the burning question is, who's top of the poops? Well, I feel like we need the opposite of a drum roll for this, um, as the results aren't really much of a surprise. Um, Seven Trent Water was the only company that kept its four-star rating, which is the best category under the EA rankings. United Utilities and Northumbrian Water both dropped down from this category, achieving just three stars. Yorkshire Water joined them in this ranking, going up from last year's two stars to three. Wessex Water stayed at two stars, as did Thames Water and Anglian Water, and Welsh Water was also ranked at two stars, a one-star drop from last year. Um, and that was in separate rankings by Natural Resources Wales. I, th- I think there seem to be some almost like mixed messages coming out of the report, because because on the one hand, it, it shows some modest improvements, but on the other hand, we had the Environment Agency's new chair, Alan Lovell, still clearly not being happy with the water company's performance. Um in the forward to report, he said that the performance of many of the companies is very disappointing. That was his quotes. In particular, he pointed out the performance on pollution incidents from water and sewage supply assets actually got worse between 2021 and 2022. And this, he said, was simply unacceptable. In the report, the Environment Agency says that we are concerned that some companies will not or cannot change. Who are they, Shosha? So the main water companies that was directed at were Anglian Water and Thames Water, which the A described in the report as being repeated um, dominators of these serious incident numbers. Um, I looked back at the reports for the past three years, and that is overwhelmingly the case. So both companies make up around half of all of the serious incidents reported in England out of all of the water companies. Um Southern Water and Southwest Water were also the target of this EA comment. The report scolded them for being rated red for their high number of total incidents for far too many years. Um, Southwest Water was also the only company to perform significantly below target for its supply um, versus demand balance, which is quite interesting. Everyone else achieved 100%. That is interesting. No, it's, it's kind of... Um... I think one of the, one of the things that when you look at the scorecard, I mean, obviously all this this attention at the moment on pollution, but actually they're, they're that's only one of the or a few of the indicators related to pollution, and other, others are, are different ones, and there's a bit of um, variation in, in how the different water companies do on those. Um, I mean, what, one thing I thought was interesting from Adam Lovell's notes at the start of the the, the document was that he he almost appeared to be holding out a bit of an olive branch to the water companies and and. He was saying that when he talks to the, the chairs and chief execs of the water companies, that he he kind of gets a sense of their intent to do better. And he also mentioned the the recent 
public apology from Water UK and the water companies, which he, he said that we should see that as a, a signal of change and, and that the water companies demonstrate a shifting culture. Um, but at the same time, he's saying that the environment agency is going to transform the way it regulates the sector. Um, what, what can we expect in that regards, Pippa? Yeah, so he did make some quite um, interesting sort of pledges, I guess, and said that um, the Environment Agency will create a bigger, more specialised workforce, which will focus solely on water company regulation. Um, And he said that by autumn this year, they'll have nearly 100 officers who will be trained in carrying out more detailed audits of water companies. Um, I'm not sure how many they have at the moment, but yeah, so it's quite difficult to compare. But Mm. yeah, interesting either way. Um, And the report also said that they will recruit more data specialists to make better use of analytics and technology and specifically will use data to do things like map monitoring against rainfall to detect potential dry weather operation of storm overflows, which are commonly known as dry spills. The report also said they will increase compliance checks for every company, making sure they are sticking to the permits agreed with the Environment Agency. So, yeah, it all sounds great, but I guess, you know, the Environment Agency probably should or is doing some of this already. So I'm not too sure what this actually means in practice. Yeah. I mean, a lot of it just sounds a bit like the, um, the stuff that you talked to Professor Peter Hammond about um, in the podcast a few weeks ago. Um, so, yeah, um, interesting stuff. It's fairly clear that this story is not going to go away anytime soon. Um and if, if you're listening and you'd like to find out more about the water company's woes, you can head over to engreport.com or you can listen to really any number of the previous episodes of the Eco Chamber, including the last one where we spoke to the team behind Watershed Investigations and discussed the sewage scandal, amongst other water-related issues. For our next Big Green News story, we're going to take a look at the government's decision to approve a huge 180-turbine wind farm 69 kilometres off the Yorkshire coast. This thing is absolutely massive. It will be capable of powering more than a million homes when it's built. Orsted's Hornsey 4 development was approved by Energy and Net Zero Secretary Grant Shapps, with the decision going against the recommendation of a panel of examining inspectors who said it should be refused. Um, and what's interesting about this one is that you might think that a huge renewable energy project getting planning permission would be welcomed by green campaigners. But actually, that hasn't been the case here. What's going on, Pippa? Yeah, so this is quite an interesting story where you know, nature restoration and nature targets seem to collide a bit with our net zero um, target and kind of climate pledges. Um, So the RSPB and the Wildlife Trust both slammed the decision and said in quotes that it was a damning indictment of the UK government's commitment to halting species decline. Um, And they actually accused the government of ignoring the consensus of evidence from leading scientists who have stated that the development risks causing further declines to nearby populations of um, amberless seabirds such as gannet and razorbill. And they also said that the government is putting unproven mitigation for guillemot and also untried and untested compensation schemes for red-listed kittiwake. And Katie Lowe-Luxton, who's the Director for Conservation at the RSPB, said that this must be the last time we trade off nature against climate. um, I think it's really interesting. And as as you sort of said there, that the... um campaigners weren't the only ones who had questions around the impact of the scheme on nature. So the the, um, the panel of examiners who who advised the Secretary of State on the application said that um, it failed to meet requirements of the habitats regulations and, and the compensation package as proposed, they said, is insufficiently developed and unproven. And as such, we, the examining authority, are unable to recommend that development consent should be granted at this time. But... Um, 
as as we've heard earlier, the Secretary of State Grant Shapps took a different view. What did he conclude, Joshua? Yes, he did. Um, In the decision letter sent on his behalf, he said the significant benefits associated with the proposed development in contributing to the urgent need for low carbon energy infrastructure of the type proposed outweigh the harms identified. And he gave it the green light. Yeah. So it's probably not lost. I imagine this may well be subject to a legal challenge at some point. Um, It's also important to say that not all commentators are unhappy with this decision. Um, you see some commentary that where people are saying that the application took actually far too long to decide. Um, people are saying that the planning system is broken and that when, when you've got an urgent need for renewables, it's completely ridiculous that it can actually take sort of up to 13 years for a decision like this to actually get through the system. And the, the, the other kind of interesting thing is, is the kind of context in this. So the government's got a target of 50 gigawatts of offshore wind by 2030, which is absolutely huge in terms of the expansion that's needed. So um, Pippi sort of mentioned the idea of nature and climate colliding. So we're definitely going to see more of debates around that as and, and more of those trade-offs as um, as the government tries to be that target. For our final story of this week's Big Renew section, we're going to take a quick look at a report on species reintroductions published last week by the Commons EFRA Committee. What did the report say, Shosha? Well, the gist of the committee's take is actually captured quite neatly um, in the EFRA chair, Sir Robert Goodwill's take, that the current policies on this are completely inadequate. Um, The report found that currently it's unclear which plant and animal reintroductions the government supports, and there's no current long-term vision of how reintroductions fit into the government's species abundance targets. This, it said, is causing confusion and concern between stakeholders that are seeking to reintroduce certain species. The committee has called on the government to produce, by January 2024, a list of priority species for reintroduction as part of a long-term strategy, with details of the species the government does not support the reintroduction of in England, um, and categorise species for reintroduction by risk. Um, They've also suggested localised control groups such as rapid response consultants that can be mobilised by 2026 as part of plans, and they use quite an interesting example of how beavers kind of got out of control in Bavaria um, and around a thousand of these types of offices had to be put in place to ensure everyone could coexist. Um, they said the initial beaver reintroduction program there saw a compensation budget of around 450,000 euros for damage to crops such as maize and sugar beet, as well as a substantial structural change needed to the drainage system, which is Quite interesting. Thanks, Shosha. Um, Pippa, I think it's um, it's fair to say that not everyone's happy with what the MPs have come up with. I think um, Rewild in Britain would probably agree with um, Robert Goodwill's comments that the, the government strategy at the moment is completely inadequate, but um, as I said, it was one step forward and two steps back. What, what were their objections? Yeah, so Rewilding Britain actually gave evidence to the committee in March um, and on Twitter they described the report as being, in quotes, hugely underwhelming. Um, And they had a few specific concerns, but one of them was in relation to this compensation scheme that Shosha was just talking about. Um, And they, you know, said instead that agri-environment payments to pay for allowing the presence of certain reintroduced species should be done instead, instead of compensation. 
Um, they also um, kind of raise specific concerns with the fact that the report calls for a review of the protected status of beavers. Um, and they said this wasn't mentioned by any party during the committee session and said they can only conclude that this is the result of behind the scenes lobbying by a vocal minority. Um, in episode 42 of the UK Chamber, I actually interviewed Ali Driver, who's the director of Real Wilding Britain, and we talked about a lot of these issues. So if you're interested, could have a listen to that one. Fantastic plug there. And um, <laughs> certainly feels like a, a long time since um, Boris Johnson's Build Back Beaver Party Conference speech. So. <laughs> <laughs> feels more like beaver bashing, really. It does a bit, yeah, it absolutely does. And on that um, slightly sinister note, that um, brings us to the end of this week's Big Green News section. Thank you to Pippa Neal and Shosha AD. Now it's time for this episode's deep dive. I'm Jamie Carpenter, and I'm joined by reporter Shosha AD. For this deep dive, we're going to be taking a closer look at the recent announcement of new legislation that means that those that pollute the environment will face unlimited penalties. First, a very brief history lesson. This announcement can actually be traced back to Ranil Jayawardena's brief seven-week stint as Environment Secretary, so he has had a legacy after all. In his speech to the Conservative Party conference in October 2022, he said he would be taking forward plans to lift the Environment Agency's maximum civil fine for each individual breach of the rules from up to just £250,000 to up to £250 million, which is a big number. Um, But later we had the Environment Agency's new chair, Alan Lovell described the £250 million figure as crazy and massive. Well, if £250 million is crazy, how do we define unlimited? Because that's where we've ended up, presumably as a result of growing public anger over the water company's performance. Definitely. And just to jump in there, the announcement actually prompted even more anger at the time, as it was soon revealed that this type of civil sanction had never actually been levied against a water company before and couldn't be for sewage discharges um, because of the environmental permitting regulations, which kind of rendered this whole thing a bit moot at the time. Yeah, it's, it's weird. It did, it, did, it did kind of feel, I think, as for a while as one of those announcements that was going to be kind of filed under, this is probably never going to actually happen, but, but somehow somehow it has. That was a bit of background to how we got here, but, but I, I guess a good place to start off is is we talk about the nuts and bolts of what's actually been announced. Um, And I think, Shosha, there are two important changes, if I'm not mistaken. There are. We mentioned the first, which is the new legislation essentially blows that cap, um, which, as you said, was at £250,000 out of the water um, on these civil sanctions that are called variable monetary penalties. Um, So in theory, an unlimited fine can be applied using this type of civil sanction. I should say penalty, really, because it's not quite a fine. Um, This decision was subject to an April consultation, the results published last week, and in order for this to actually be used against water companies for illegal sewage discharges, the legislation also puts forward changes to the Environmental Permitting Regulations, EPR, which is the main legislation water companies are prosecuted under for discharges. So that's very wordy. Um, But basically, if both Houses of Parliament approve the legislation the government has put in front of them, then Variable monetary penalties um, can give out unlimited penalties for breaches of the environmental permitting regulations. So there's quite a lot to un- un- unpack there. Um, so to start from the beginning, what 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 exactly are variable monetary penalties, and and how often have they actually been used so far? So these penalties um, 
the snappy VMPs for short, um, are a discretionary penalty that regulators such as the EA, for example, can use against environmental offenders. Um, I did speak to an environmental lawyer, Nick Barker, about this because I'm by no means an expert at all to find out a bit more. And he told me that in their current form, VMPs are in some ways considered quite a light touch punishment and are therefore preferable to the offender than a court case. There's also much less publicity um, and the costs are much less when it comes to a VMP. And I think you also don't get um, a mark on your criminal record, for example. Um, until recently, of course, the cap was much lower adding to this idea of the light touch. But these penalties do seem quite rare. I mean, I had a scan of our fines monitor, which goes back just over a decade. And of roughly 1,200 entries, we've only got six VMPs listed. Um, this could also be because they aren't as widely publicized or the amount hasn't been significant enough for us to put it in the database because there are quite a few that are given out for phishing offenses. They're actually less than a thousand pounds. But I will spotlight one which was given out quite recently to Anglian Water in June. And it was the first water company to be prosecuted using a VMP. Although this was, of course, before the um, EPR change that we're talking about, um, it came under the Salmon and Freshwater Fisheries Act instead. Um, it was a bit strange, the timing, as it was kind of like, why haven't you used this before then if um, VMPs are so great? Um, and it did feel a bit like proving a point or a press exercise in the run-up to the announcement. Interesting. Good to find out a bit more about that one, definitely. Um, so on, on the on the first change, so you talked about two changes, the, the lifting of the cap um, or blowing the lid off the cap or however you want to put it. So <laughs> um, I think one of the things that's been eye-catching about the coverage and, and about the announcement has been this idea of unlimited penalties. Um, but but isn't it the case that, that actually courts can already issue unlimited fines and um, and if that's the case, how much of a deterrent would this, this really be in practice? This is true. And there have been some eye-watering fines. Water companies have been dished out for illegal sewage discharges under this. Um, for example, through a criminal prosecution, um, Southern Water were fined £90 million um, in 2021. That's the highest fine I'm aware of for a water company. Um, but then the whole point of the VMP is that it avoids this slow pace of the courts, um, which often sees prosecution taking place years after the original offence. So then that brings us on to whether VMPs really are going to be an easier and quicker alternative to going through the courts. As of course, I know the EA is arguing it's a deterrent, but how can it be a deterrent if that deterrent is already there? Like, surely mm. they're deterred. Um, so... Yes, if you speak to lawyers, it, it might not be the case that it is this quicker alternative because the standard of proof is just as high. Yeah, yeah, I think it's a really, really interesting area because I think the, the point that they're making is that unlike some of the other penalties that EA can use, which apply a civil standard of proof to award a BMP, the, the agency must be satisfied that the offence has been committed to a criminal standard of proof, which is which is clearly much higher. And, and th that means, going going into, it sounds like an episode of the bill or something, but <laughs> this means that defendants must be proved guilty beyond all reasonable doubt rather than just via a balance of probabilities, um, which might have some implications around their, their likely uptake, presumably. What, what do you think about that, Shasha? I think it will remain to be seen um, on that one, really, but we'll definitely be keeping an eye on it. Yeah, I guess uh, people need to keep their eyes glued to the, the fines monitor to uh, see what happens on, on that one. <laughs> subtle plug, subtle yeah, plug. Not not too subtle. Um, <laughs> and, 
And, and as, as I said a, a few minutes ago, a lot of the coverage has been so far as focused around the lifting of the cap. So this idea of unlimited penalties, but but actually there's another really important thing going on here, which has received far less attention, which is the the expansion of the scope of VMPs to all offences under the Environmental Permitting Regulation. So this means that the EA will be able to issue a VMP for a breach of permit and other industries will be affected. So it's not it's not actually just about the water industry. So this whole thing has been framed around bashing the water companies for, for being naughty, but actually the, the change is much wider than that. So so the, the to give an indication of this, the press release says um, it talks about from energy and water companies to waste operators and incinerators. So that there's clearly then scope for other operators who aren't in the water industry to be to be hit by this. I mean how how significant should you think this is in the, as an expansion of the EA's enforcement toolkit? It is an interesting one, isn't it? Um because like you we've pointed out, unlimited fines do exist for these kinds of offences when taken through the courts. And yes, it'd be strange to change the EPR regulations which cover a whole range of um non compliance. Um just for water offences. Um, what I would hope, though, is that it doesn't mean, for the sake of transparency, um, that VMPs become the go-to over prosecutions for all of these types of offences, such as a breach of your waste permit at your site, for example. And then we see less details of these kinds of um, environmental events as being reported. That would be a really strange um, outcome of all of this. What is also interesting is that the VMPs are set to go in that same EA pot announced in the plan for water, uh, the Water Restoration Fund, I think, which is currently being set up to redirect fines from environmental fem- um, offences back to DEFRA and the EA rather than the Treasury. So it is quite an interesting time if this is, um, you know, your area of expertise because we really don't know how these will be employed. Um mm. I think I think the point around transparency is really is a really good one because I think that's something that we've noticed with enforcement undertakings. So this is another another type of civil sanction that has been fairly widely used, but but actually you need to know where to look on the gov.uk website to see details, and then 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 they actually get taken down or removed when when a new a new round is published. So so I think I think it would be it would be great if there is some way to um, ensure that that details of these are made public and and people can find them easily. Um, I just, I just had one one final question around this, Shosha, is is around the, um, I, I guess because this is a new, this is going to be a new thing for everyone or a lot of people, um, and presumably they 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 might want to, um, presumably they might not agree with the EA's decision to um, to issue them with an unlimited penalty. How how would they go about appealing that? I mean, to start the very beginning, we understand that the accused will be served a prior notice of intent before the VMPs issue to begin with, which will have the amount that's been suggested for the penalty. They will then have 28 days to prepare their defence, etc. And then after that time, the issue will decide whether to go ahead with the VMP or to change the amount, for example. If that initial process is unsuccessful, then we get to this idea of the appeal. Um, so that can be brought in the first tier tribunal on the grounds that the decision to issue the notice was based in an error of law or fact, was just legally incorrect or was unreasonable for some other reason. Um, and this really would add time on the timeline. I mean, um, the law firm Burgess and Salmon have already told us they're expecting a significant increase in the number of appeals being brought, you know, people coming to them for advice on this. So 
that would be a real spanner in the works for their quicker, faster, better um, unlimited fines announcement. You mentioned enforcement undertakings, and that's quite an interesting one because they do seem to be quicker than um, prosecutions the way we've seen it so far, where sort of an amount to be paid to remediate the issue will be agreed um, with the regulator. Um, And we've had some really big enforcement undertakings that we've recorded in our database, which can also be found at the Fines Monitor page. I mean, the biggest ever was the £975,000 fine for Wessex Water in 2018, uh, which came under the EPR regulations as well. Then Metis Aerospace was another big one given, and that was for chemical pollution to a waterway. And that came in at 379000 in 2017. So those were both sort of paid out to local authorities um, and charities, those working on projects in the catchment. So I think that's quite an interesting part of the story because what we need to watch really is why the government have pushed for this change over, you know, some other measures that they could have and whether it will see an improvement in the way that people are punished for environmental offences. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point because I think the thing with the thing with enforcement undertakings, I think the that there seemed to be a sense last year that using those didn't actually work in terms of driving up the water company's environmental performance. And I think I think there was a um Emma Howard Boyd, the former chair of um the EA when when we talked about the environmental performance scorecard earlier in the podcast, when when that came out last year, she basically said, um, to paraphrase in a, in a huge way, but she basically said we've used we've used these enforcement undertakings and and it's clear that approach hasn't worked. So so whether another Type of civil sanction will will have an impact of improving performance or not is um, is a really good question um, and and also it might it might just be that although it's been framed in framed so far around water company performance but actually the implications might actually land land somewhere else and that's probably something that we need to pay a lot more attention to. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of the Eco Chamber. Thank you to Pippa Neal and Shosha Adi. If you're interested in hearing more about any of the stories we've been discussing today, please head over to endreport.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and we'll see you next time.